the title of this suggested talk is The First Year of Fatherhood. Obviously it's extremely important in life, this relationship between child and parents. And in this talk with you, I would like to speak about the this first year and primarily on the position of fatherhood, one which I very recently became rather familiar with. And I'd like to speak about what that means, being a father, include within that some of my personal uh, experiences and also include in it um, rather an extensive number of conversations which I have had with other men about parenting, about becoming fathers and their experiences and I've noticed there's a certain pattern of, of similarity in some cases and uh, other factors in other cases. Um, at the personal level, um, I was in Australia some um, time ago and Gwenwyn, my friend, was with me and we had been in a relationship at that time for about a year. And when we arrived in Sydney, she complained of feeling rather unwell. Um, she said that um, her stomach was uh, was quite unsettled. Her energy didn't feel feel very good, and um, and she and she said that there was just you know her body just wasn't settled at all. And I just immediately attributed this to the long flight and to jet lag. And I said, well, it's been a, you know it's a very long flight, um, basically from one end of the planet. To the, to the other, and it's not unusual for people, having made a flight which took over 30 hours to feel quite, un to feel quite unsettled in themselves. So we said not too much more about it. Then we had to make another drive, had to make rather a long drive going from, going from Sydney in um, New South Wales to the very northern part of the area called the Rainbow region, which must be at least um, about a 12 or 13 hour car drive and rather warm climate and this extraordinary expanse of countryside that there is in Australia. We don't have any parallel to it at all here in Europe. Just vast open, open spaces. And this discomfort which she was having continued and I was giving a retreat right by the coast and Gwanwin was participating in the retreat, actually, um, taking the retreat. And so we had an arrangement that during a retreat we would revert to the, as it were, teacher-student role rather than the male-female relationship role. So during the middle of the retreat she came to m to, into my room for the interview and sat down and um, was very quiet and, and I said, anything, anything wrong? and um, she remained quiet and then she said, I think I'm pregnant and I went, Christ! <laughs> <laughs> what? and uh, I said, you sure? 
she said, I'm fairly, I'm fairly sure all the symptoms are, are being expressed, the, 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 the morning sickness, uh, feel the breast swelling, etc., etc. But the only thing is that I'm still bleeding. It still feels like my monthly period is, is taking place. So she said, there is some doubt. So we went, this was on a Thursday or Friday, to the local hospital some uh, hour, hour away and we, to try to see if we could get um, a urine test and we had to wait some, for one reason or another, we had to wait four or five days, I must say very long four or five days and we went there and the nurse in charge said oh no it's most unlikely, you know, the, the jet lag and, and, and the energy and the different climate and the different food and, and probably some tension. It's not unusual for women to go through all these expressions, especially if you're bleeding, it's probably you know, still having a, a period. It's most unlikely. I thought, well, this is lovely. This is very reassuring, since I had absolutely <laughs> no plan to be a father. And, and then she took the test, and she said, well, it's absolutely positive. I thought, oh, God. And then she, she said, well, I'll take another one. I said, yes, please, quickly. And she <laughs> said, so she took another another test, and uh, it was confirmed again. So we kind of drove back rather quietly, rather silently, back to the um, uh, back to the retreat, and and rather not long after that, she experienced quite severe bleeding, and there was some attempt for going on inside for a, a spontaneous miscarriage, which. Uh, which is a sign when there's a great deal of bleeding that the body is in, in fact endeavouring to um, free itself from the fetus. This is how it was explained to us. So we, so she had to spend another week or ten days in hospital. The doctor suggested and the nurse suggested we do provide the service you know, meaning that since it was a high-risk pregnancy and it was in the early stages, if she required a, an abortion there were real grounds for it to take place. And being one of those people in this world who tend to wish to affirm life, and so, um, we, and both of us felt that we should let the pregnancy proceed in its own way. So, about eight and a half months, nine months later, or whatever, the Shauna was born after a rather a, a long a pregnancy which was long, not so much in time, of course, but um, in patience, since this bleeding continued throughout the whole course of the pregnancy. And I remember in that period of time that, that I knew, as any man does, in going from a relatively very independent lifestyle, being free to do, where I go, go to different places, not needing much, not needing much money, not having anybody else to support in this world, not having grandmen to, su to support. Uh, yes, she was uh, had been working. That it meant changes, and it's something quite different inside of oneself. I mean, for a man used to his kind of male independence and the forms of it, to adjust to a changed situation. And for myself, having spent so many years in solitude, having spent years quite apart from the mainstream of society, and never having even a thought, a wish, 
to be a parent. It was it was something that's far removed from my framework of reference in life. And I often used to repeat one of the statements of the Buddha. Um, it's far more important to increase one's understanding in this world than to increase the population. And I used to <laughs> repeat this quite regularly. I, I still repeat it. I think I repeat it probably even more these days. <laughs> and here I was, increasing the population. So, in other words, what I'm trying to communicate is that I was not a willing father. <laughs> it wasn't, I, didn't, I wasn't over the moon. It wasn't a planned pregnancy. It happened, it happened in the course of events. The one thing which I was extremely grateful for, that I was in a relationship which I really liked, I really enjoy, and there was a lot of real love and affection, and, for, and that was really there. And for that, I'm eternally grateful. It must be considerably more difficult for a man and for a woman to, when there is a pregnancy which arises, but there's doubts about the relationship. That's hard. And hard for both people, and of course, all too often, the burden, the burden of responsibility, rather unfairly, does fall upon the shoulders of women. She has the intimacy of relationship with that developing fetus, becoming child, becoming life in the world. At the birth itself, we, up right up until the birth, we had no wish. It just shows how everything, you know, one's wishes in life and the universe so often are in contradiction with each other. In, and, um, and the universe seems to win more often than not. And one of the ways that expressed for us was that during the, the pregnancy we had no wish to have any connection with the hospital and the system insofar as in birth has become in our society a medical event you know that you go into a hospital you know a hospital is a place for people to get well and it's as though being pregnant as it were is being sick and in hospital you have the baby uh, in that kind of environment where people go there who are sick and it seems such a contradiction in terms to go to a hospital for a birth but in some cases, and ours was one of those cases the high risk of a miscarriage right through the pregnancy because of the, the bleeding meant that it was unwise to risk having the birth in the community which was 40 minutes drive from the hospital. So before the birth, I wrote to the gynecologist and, and, the, and the doctor and the midwife, and I said, okay, we're going to have the birth in the hospital. However, and I wrote out about 10 conditions <laughs> for them, and I very, uh, about we didn't want this, we didn't want that, we didn't this, that, that, that and ten of them. And then I had to speak with the, 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 the doctor and go over everything that there was to be no technological interference without my permission. And he said, Mr. Titmus, do you realize that you're, you're putting yourself as an authority, more, having more knowledge and expertise than the doctors and the gynecologists and the obstetricians? <laughs> and I said, I'm not doing that, but I'm keeping in touch with what I'm feeling. And if it's necessary, 
the technology is necessary in the process of the birth, okay. Then I agree to it. But not as a matter of course. So there was some tension. <laughs> come the bear, come become come to the so having right to that period of time, Grandmother and I had done a lot of these exercises together, the breathing exercises, so helpful and valuable for the birthing process. I'd done a lot of reading, and especially in, this, in my preparation to become a father, I spoke with as many fathers as I could. And the retreats are a great opportunity for that. You know, meditators <laughs> would want to come and talk about what was happening in their knees, and I would want to talk about what was happening with their child. But, <laughs> but, but, so I used the opportunity to make contact with friends and meditators and others who are fathers. And I found this extraordinarily helpful. So that I felt that this, because I realized during the pregnancy that fatherhood is a long haul. It's not something that's, you know, like starts and finishes after nine or ten day retreat. This is something that goes on for the rest of one's life, either in one form or another. And so therefore I feel, felt here I am, a complete ignoramus. I've never had any contact with children. I've, uh, and I know no, nothing, nothing about them. I never had any associates. I used to see a few in Thailand and uh, there were one or two children in the community, but apart from just holding them and saying, <laughs> that was the, the sum total of my contact, which is not quite enough to become a father. So, uh, so the preparation I feel towards fatherhood is extremely, uh, extremely important. And then the the birthing itself. When we walked into the hospital, we just saw that clinical cleanness. You know, I'm, I'm not a great lover of cleanliness in life. I've, and 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 there's this clinical cleanness. And in the birthing room itself. We walked into that birthing room, I suppose it would be half the size of this room. And walked in there and everything was absolutely in its place. Pure, clean, stiff white sheets. You know, and, and everything in white and even the metal shining there just waiting to be used. And we walked in and our spirit, we had to go in the ambulance. By this time had been in labour for 30 hours. And we walked in and our spirit went right down in, you know, and Grammy said, I don't want to stay, I can't stay here. It's too cold, it's too hospital. And yet we knew we couldn't go because of the risk of this pregnancy and having got this far, obviously we didn't want to lose our child. So we kind of created an energy in that room and we got the midwife out of the room as much as possible. I mean, she was very, 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 very nice but we created our own energy and the breathing through the, through the labour I did with Gwanwin. You know, when the contractions came, especially in the latter stages, those contractions get quicker and quicker. And, it was and we, did this, we did this breathing together and that breathing, I mean initially the contractions were whatever, I can't remember now, maybe every 10 minutes or 15 minutes, and then the time gets shorter and shorter and shorter. And we did that whole breathing process together. 
through a labour which lasted 43 hours. So, when our little daughter came, Gwenmin had the baby in the squatting position with her arm, Gwenmin's arm around my neck and, and just squatting, not lying on her back, but squatting on the floor. And the midwife, who was Chinese, said, I've never seen anything like this before. <laughs> She said, in all my years, no one has ever had a baby on the, standing, on being on the floor in the squatting posture. She said, I must put some sheet on the floor. <laughs> so, and, and, in, and then Nishona's, uh, in the birthing, the Nishona's came, came, came out and her eyes were wide open and uh, she didn't cry at all. And there's no sense, like one of the messages one gets in Buddhism of, Birth is dukkha, birth is suffering. We never had that sense at all in the process of, of the birth. And that, that, that young Nishona, that, that she came out, she came to Gwanwin to lay with Gwanwin and to I, and then we asked the midwife, she said, you know, said, well, you've done your job, you don't have to, you know, have to stay, we really thanked her and appreciated it. And she very kindly left us for about three hours. So there was just us there and a friend um, an empirical midwife, Carol, um, who was there, although the, the official midwife didn't know Carol was a, a midwife. We didn't. And, um, and, in, and so we spent these two or three hours together, rather than what happens so often in English hospitals, the baby, they take hold of the baby, not long after the, the birth, they turn the baby upside down, they, they see what the length of the baby is, they take the baby, they put it into... Uh, a weighing on a weighing machine immediately to see what the weight is. They ta start taking down the figures, etc. As though it mattered. And then this is soon after the birth. So we said, no, no this was one of some of the conditions that we had made. And w when we feel to do it, we'll do it. And so we kept Nishona nice and close to us in a very quiet, supportive environment. Come the period after the birth um, and despite the intimacy which fathers have at being at present at a birth which is a, an extraordinary experience even even though we as men we can't experience it in the way that a, a woman can but there's an extraordinary uh, closeness which is there but as, as I see and having talked with many fathers just because one witnesses the birth doesn't mean to say that that guarantees in the future a real closeness with woman or child and the period after the birth after getting over the initial joy and vitality and for us real relief that our child looked normal we, we, we were you know, really concerned that there's something wrong with the child that was why the, uh, the pregnancy problem um, and then comes that relationship to the child but it's a three-person relationship and so that love which in previously got directed between two people now gets directed between three people and, it ch and there's a change in that and what I had observed, both in myself and in talking with a, a number of men, a number of men friends, uh, about it, is that we as men tend to feel it the most. 
tend to feel, and I certainly experience, experience this, particularly in the first year, tend to feel that the love factor is, because there's an extra division between two, two between three, that one has a feeling of certain, a certain exclusion, that one is not so much connected. Now that's not in every case. I can think of one father that I, that I know who took to fatherhood like a fish takes to water. I mean, nothing was too much trouble. And that for him, it was, I mean, the way that we understood it, for him it seemed to be an effort to be away from his growing baby. Whereas for some of us, including myself, it was, I have so many things to do, but I've got to be with the baby. And you understand the difference in uh, thinking. For the mother, I think for many mothers that I have spoken with, they recognize, I think almost, if I may say, biologically, psychologically, spiritually and emotionally, the importance of their relationship with the child. And they have nursed inwardly that relationship throughout the nine months of the pregnancy. But we as men, we've been doing our thing during the pregnancy, being a man, getting our money, and doing our job, and doing our this and that. And, in, and though we may read and talk about it and discuss it, and, and what, what, what clothes shall we buy the baby, and what name shall we give the baby, etc., etc., there's never quite the depth of intimacy that the woman experiences. And it's a little bit unfortunate in this universe, I feel, that the universe is constructed so that we men can't participate so closely. You know, but there are, I say the universe tends to rule more than we do. And so in this period after the, after the pregnancy and, and, and that period for the birth, I noticed in myself and in my relationship with my friends quite dramatic changes. And, and I don't want to exaggerate it too much, but I think dramatics feels like the, 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 the word. Quite different from what I knew. And it was harder than I expected. And it was harder in so far as... You, not so much that our little girl was a difficult girl, I mean, a difficult baby, she was extraordinary. I mean, just take, I mean, as an, let me give a very good example. For the first five months, until we took her to India, for the first five months, she didn't wake up once in the night. That's unusual. That little girl, she'd go to bed at ten, and she would wake up at seven in the morning. That is unusual. So I've got no excuses saying, oh, we had to get up every night, three, four, five, six times. I haven't even got, I haven't even got that as a, as a reason for the difficulty, which is unfortunate. I wish I, <laughs> I, wish I had. Even, even though Grandma would, would wake up several times herself, expecting the child to wake up. <laughs> and even though sometimes I would come home, you know, at night or whatever, or, and, and I'd go to the cot, and I think, oh God, she's not breathing. I look and, but, and to, to check, just my own agitation come up. But I think that the, the difficulty was that sometimes for men, and I fall into this category, it is, here is one, one's daily life is kind of very full. My case, full with people, generally speaking, but full with correspondence, full with meetings, full with travelling, 
full with study, etc. And there is a baby. And it meant that I, as a person, had to let go of this, 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 to create space. And in that creating of space for, for parenting, sometimes the heart is really into it, because there's a real feeling of um, connection and, and, and closeness. And sometimes there wasn't. And it was mechanical. Changing the nappy was a mechanical, could be a, a mechanical experience. Giving, taking the baby for a walk, um, doing all the kind of things that one has to do with regard to the, the upkeep of the baby. At times it was difficult. And the difficulty would come out in doing something which one didn't want to do. And I feel, in talking with a number of men in this regard, that quite a few of us have experienced this difficulty. And, and I noticed that a real reflection of this difficulty that which we men have is the number of men who are unable to get past the first year of fatherhood. I know a number of men and and number and uh, or relationships, including friends who um, come here, who just couldn't handle being a father, and the relationship fell apart. Sometimes a father comes back after two years or three years and wants to make the relationship with the child, but that first year for a number of fathers, and giving, given the fact that many f now um, parenting is, when it comes, is, is an expression of, um, how to say, uh, can be an expression of affection, but it may not be an expression of total commitment. You know, there's not the, 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 the norms of marriage and all, all that kind of preparation. Now, a number of fathers walk out on the relationship. I mean, it's a very sad and unfortunate thing. And I think it's very important, and feel it's very important, that the man is like a little boy himself. And what does tend to happen in some of the relationships and some of the marriages or relationships is that the woman, quite naturally and understandably, she gives her wholehearted attention to this baby, which is so helpless and so dependent on her. Often the breast, of course, but the, it's the mother that will often wake up first in the night, it's the mother who's so observant, the mother who so much enjoys all the subtleties of change in that growth of the baby in, in a way which is so, so beautifully intimate. Something which we fathers take time to, I think, to, to really discover. And as I say, there's often in the father, there's still the little boy. It's the, the little boy in the father is the little boy who also wants to be loved. Who also wants to be held. Who also wants to receive affection. Who also wants to be in the arms of the woman. And so sometimes what happens, what, what some of us have felt, is that the love gets so, by the mother, so directed towards the child that one feels not so included. And when that's coupled with the phenomena that the mother extends so much loving energy to the child, and particularly when the child is rather a demanding child, or just a normal child, let us say, 
And that come the end of the day, the mother wants to do one thing. She wants to go to sleep. And there's the father who's been doing this, this and this, and etc. And he may be leading a reasonably normal life you know, in terms of going to work and the mother is the homemaker. He comes home and just because he's become a father doesn't affect his sexual energy one drop. So he comes home and comes to bed at night and he wants to make love and he touches her on the shoulder or puts his arm around her waist because she's got her back to him and she says, oh I'm so tired. So he's lie he lies there feeling quite frustrated and, uh, and she's like that and, and then you can just, after a minute or two hears her and he can hear her fast asleep and he's lying there with all this energy so he has to get up and have a hot chocolate or something <laughs> and it's one of the reflections of what takes place particularly in this first year where the energy level may be the same for the father for the mother, it may be such that she really is tired, plus the energy which the child takes from the breast, etc., that she doesn't feel in the mode of lovemaking. And the man, being vulnerable always in this area, as we are with our male pride, etc., etc., do easily feel rejected by this. And, then, and when, the, when that rejection is taken, one feels hurt, and it produces negativity, and then that produces tension in the relationship. And it seems to me that plenty of men that I have spoken to, and what I have experienced in that regard, have gone through those kind of phases in that first year of parenting. And I found it, I mean it's a peculiar phenomena, I found it rather comforting to know that other fathers suffer the same way. <laughs> the peculiarity, <laughs> if one knows that one is quite normal, <laughs> that one feels, one feels easy, more relaxed about it. So, I, I see, in that regard, that area of sexuality um, affects men. It doesn't all, all, always happen. I remember Grandman Grand and I, we, nearly 48, we were so high, nearly 48 hours after the birth we were nearly making love, it was extraordinary. It, it, the, the energy was so flowing. But there were periods of time um, in which energy level truly affects that personal intimacy. With, with this too, there is also, and I feel this is the conditioning which we may, men have, I mean, like I was speaking yesterday about the conditioned idea and there's this very strong conditioned idea rolling on from generations which women, certain women and men are trying to change women have been the great inspiration for this of course not it hasn't come out of men have tried to, what, try to change the idea that women and parenting particularly in the early years, that's their responsibility. And that the male doesn't have that responsibility. And that the, that the responsibility of experience tends to fall on the woman's shoulders and, and the men less so. And there's, there is a real work and a real practice to change generations and generations of this continuum of idea 
to a form of relationship which feels more equal. You know, I, we went, as an example, a child hadn't, wasn't so very old, and we, we, there was a little play school, and we, this is now, the Shauna's now one or two years older this time, but we went to a play school, and the Shauna did a, a shit in her pants, you know, in her nappy. So I just picked the child up and took him to the bathroom, took her to the bathroom, rather, and washed her, her backside, and etc. etc. Et I mean, just what fathers on the you know, do. And when I was away, several of the women in this room talking to Grandma said, Does your husband, I'm not married, but anyway, does your husband change the baby's nappy? Grandma says, Yes. She said, Mama said, I've got three children. My husband's never changed his nappy once. He would never do that. Can you imagine the thinking? That that thinking is still there. And the other women said, Oh no, if I'm sick, he'll, well, he'll do it. But, <laughs> no, no, she, she, he considers that's the woman's job. It's that kind of conditioned idea which contemporary women and contemporary men who are endeavouring to live with some awareness are trying to change. And the change is basically that we as men change ourselves. And it's not just, I mean, changing a nappy or feeding the baby or getting up for a baby in the middle of the night. It's the feeling, the intuitional feeling of intimacy and closeness to. That's what we have to find and discover in ourselves. So the, the, there's just these external expressions of, of changing this, doing that, doing that. But somehow or other, it's got to come from inside of ourself. That it's not like it's a real obligation or a, or a moral um, imperative to do. It's something which comes out of one's relationship to life. And in this respect, we as men, I mean, too many of us, have lost that intuitive feeling. And it tends to show itself, it certainly showed itself for me, in those times which I can recall personally, where being with my daughter, who I regard, I mean, I'm father, I regard as a very beautiful child, an extraordinary personality, I think she's the, you know, the, the cream of the milk. <laughs> <laughs> but even though I could see all that, and even though in every retreat I always bring my photographs of my daughter with me, <laughs> but still, at times, there are other things I wanted to do. And I knew, I recognised in myself, that this intimacy of spo and spontaneity wasn't present. And so during this period of time, this, as I say, this first year of, of, of work, of, of finding out what it means to be in a three-person relationship. It's like someone said to me um, uh, uh, recently, um, I really like your two women. You know, that, you know, and that, 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 that kind of sense of, uh, of, 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 of relationship. 
that in finding and, expl and ex exploring that, that we as men have to really regard our fatherhood not as a block or as any way as a resistance to things that we ought to be doing, but as a real opportunity for our own development. Because obviously the relationship of the father to the child has a lifelong effect, just as it does for the mother. The influence of the father on the child is, 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 is so extensive. And, the, and there is for us as fathers, as there is similarly and equally for mothers, this, the, the, the responsibility in that regard. As, and if we consider the father as far as the authority figure goes, as the person with power, and all that kind of symbol, the father's, what the father communicates really affects the child. And if the father's coming from an authoritari authoritarian place, it's likely to produce fear within the child and fear of authority. And if the father is coming from a place of play and fun and trust and warmth and affection, the child is liable to build up his or her consciousness in which there is trust, in which there is inner trust is developed, and there isn't fear of authority, and there isn't anger against authority in any form that there's a balanced relationship with it because the child has been brought up with that. And many of us haven't. We've had to find, find ways and means in our life to, 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 be, to work on our fears and to feel an equality and a sense of balanced relationship with any authority. So this relationship of parent to child, or father in this case, to a child, in these formative years is so, so important. And just as much as we have to learn, as our children have to learn, to learn from us as parents, in, this, in very much the same way, we have to learn from our children. We have a tremendous amount to learn from them. I mean, sometimes they're like an unpredictable Zen master. You, know, you just don't know what they're going to come out with. And Sometimes they're all, all affectionate, and, some, and sometimes they're very demanding. And, we, and it's that learning, that spaciousness and flexibility inside of ourselves to respond to this ex extraordinary experience of being a parent in this world. And simultaneously being a friend to the child. And that, there, that there's this mutual, these mutual qualities of friendship and parenting the two working together. And when that is there, and that, that flow of energy and affection can circulate between the three people in the family, or the four people in the family, if the family, family grows, if that can flow freely in all the ways that it can, then there's a real opportunity for us to grow as adults, and for our children to grow into mature adults. Perhaps sometime in the future I'll um, speak about the second year.
<laughs> May all beings live with affection. May all beings live with love. May all fathers live with love and affection. Let's have a couple of minutes quiet period together. <laughs> 